Before we get into the show this week, I just wanted to reach out and say thank you to everybody who gave feedback on last week's episode and the episodes before that. Uh, I had a flood of feedback come in this week uh, via Twitter and Instagram and email and everything, and I'm trying to keep up. So if you've sent me something, thank you so much. I will respond. I'm working on it right now. Uh, but it is really, really nice to know uh, what people think about the show and to get some of that feedback and to think about things that can change and also things that you enjoy. So thanks for that. And now here's the show. You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. It's a pleasure for me. Okay, with the I would like uh, to make the most of with this opportunity. And now, your host, Matt Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markstone. I'm the host of the show. And no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, thank you for making the show part of your day. I hope that you enjoy it. And I hope that you know that every time you come to this show that I promise to give you uh, 100% effort the entire episode. Uh, I will not take a break and then not show back up. Uh, I will always give you that 100% effort. And I think that most of you can appreciate that. And I know I sure appreciate that uh, in all the things that I do. I like it when my students give 100% effort. I like it when the teams I support give 100% effort. And I like it when they do that the entire time that they are playing or with me. And if you haven't really figured out what I'm talking about, okay, everybody's figured out what I'm talking about. But um, after a decent first half, even though we were down 2-0, uh, our performance yesterday was flat in the second half. And that is all the momentum that we have kind of sucked out of of us. And it may be detrimental going forward, but uh, we will see. This week, I talk with Lucy Heinet. You probably know her from Twitter, but if not, she's at Lucy Heinet. We'll get to my interview with Lucy in just a minute. But I wanted to take this time to remind you that this podcast is brought to you in partnership with The Saints Report. For all your Saints FC news and needs, be sure to visit The Saints Report on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We've put links in the show notes to make it easy. Uh, they do a great job of helping promote uh, the podcast and also uh, of sharing uh, news and tips and things like that uh, about the club. So uh, look forward to you visiting and enjoying their feed if you do not do so already. And I also want to thank everybody for listening and say that the show made Radio Public's uh, indie shows to watch list last week, which is kind of cool. It's uh, that's never happened to me before, but I got an email from them that said, hey, you know, you've made the list. You're on the list. Uh, and so that means that when people go there and they look for indie shows, uh, it shows up at the top and one of the nice little, uh, slider things they have. So if you listen there, uh, thank you. If you don't know that, if this is your first episode, uh, welcome. And I hope that you enjoy it, but, um, we have more important things to discuss. So let's go ahead and jump to my interview, uh, with Lucy Heinet about LFC and our loss and the manner of the loss and what it means going forward. And I'll talk to you on the other end of the interview.
We'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Lucy Heinet. You can find her on Twitter at Lucy Heinet, and she is becoming somewhat of a, a consistent voice on Saints podcasts across uh, the globe. So, uh, Lucy, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining me. And sorry you're joining me on somewhat of a... I don't know, uh, somewhat of a negative note after that uh, Liverpool defeat. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a bit of a shock, really. I was kind of feeling quite hopeful um, and now it's all, all come crashing down. So hopefully we can we can keep each other going. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be OK. And it's it's I don't know. I think all of us were kind of swept up in a little bit of the momentum we had. And I think really, if, if you look at the statistics and stuff, maybe it wasn't as great as we were hoping. But there was there were signs there that we were improving. And then today, especially the second half, I thought just didn't didn't look that way at all. But uh, we'll, we'll get to that. But just a, a little bit about you and, and kind of your your history with with the team. Uh, you now live in Sheffield. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, I've lived here for seven, seven years, seven and a half years. Okay. Uh, so did you grow up down in Southampton or somewhere on the South coast near the club or how did you become a, a, a fan of Southampton? So I lived in Sussex, so not far away until I was about nine, eight or nine. And then my parents moved to Southampton um, and my dad decided that it was time that he got the family kind of into football because he's always been a football fan. Um, although he kind of liked drifts between several teams. So I'm not, I'm not really sure how that works. We, st- we finally stopped the drift now though. So that's all right. Um, so he took me when I was nine-ish to the Dell. Um, and since then, yeah, I've been supporting them. Um, then he like took my brother not long after because he's five years younger than me. And it's kind of become like a family thing now. Um, and not, none of us live in Southampton anymore. So we all enjoy um, away trips mainly now. We do try to get to the home games ever so often, but um, traffic and stuff makes it quite difficult. Um, so we tend to stick to away games. So that's kind of changed how I engage with the Saints. Um, but it's, it's good fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, over the last year and a half or so, I think the the home matches have been the ones that you want to avoid. So maybe it's good that you <laughs> get to see the away performances. But um, so so like, will all all of you guys try to meet at at a at an away match? You just pick one and try to go to it. Is that how? Is that what you guys try to do? Yeah. So pretty much, we like look for something that all fits with all our like schedules and diaries and things. Um, and then I also drag my husband as well. He's not he's a Newcastle fan. Um, so it's a good day for him today. Yeah. Um, but he tends to get dragged along. Um, too, because you know the more the merrier. Um, and so like for example, uh, West Brom last week we all went. Um, we went at my parents' house in Nottingham, and then we all went together in the car. Um, and had a good day. And then it didn't really go so good well today. So, oh well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, do you have a, a particular away day in the past couple of years that you that has really stood out to you as 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 one you would recommend for maybe a Saints fan who hasn't had an away day, like a, a place you would um, maybe recommend? We lost to Burnley last season, but I thought Burnley was really good, like the proper old stadium. And we sat down and um, I said to my husband, like, these feel weird, these seats. And we realized they were like old seats that are all like painted, not plastic seats like usually used to in these modern stadiums. Um, and like it was a really good atmosphere and like a proper traditional English ground, which when you're used to going to St. Mary's and the kind of modern stadia that are typical in the Premier League, like it's, it's pretty cool to go there. So even though it wasn't a great result and we lost 1-0 to a Joe Barton free kick, um, it was a really good one. So we're going to go in a few weeks time when we play them because we're, we're quite looking forward to that. Hoping that maybe we can get something. Yeah, I'm, I hope. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I don't know if it's going to matter about how next week goes and see if there's any momentum or not. It just seems like we don't do that. Like momentum doesn't mean anything to us. So uh, we'll no, see. Every time it looks like something, it doesn't happen, does it? Yeah. We are going to be over in the UK uh, the end of March and the beginning of April. So we're going to have the opportunity, hopefully, to see West Ham and then 
depending on if we play Arsenal on Saturday or Sunday, we'll be able to see that match as well. So, uh, but I, th- I guess there you're really looking at a modern stadium. So no, no wood seats for me. Um, no, <laughs> probably but cushioned seats. Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be good. My son is, is super excited about Arsenal stadium. Um, maybe it's cause he's 12 and he likes guns, but, uh, who knows? Um, <laughs> but so you, you mentioned you've been living in Sheffield, uh, for a number of years now. Wh- where did you, is that where you did your undergraduate degree or how did you, uh, and I'm, I'm working towards questions to ask you a little bit about your PhD before we talk about the football. Cause that's, it's interesting to me and hopefully to, to some of the listeners as well. Um, so yeah, I did my undergrad in Sheffield. Um, my parents moved to Nottingham the year before, um, and I moved up with them. So it made more sense to go to Northern University um, rather than stay down south. Even though um, I had a place at Southampton, um, so I yeah went to Sheffield um, and have really enjoyed it here. Um, my husband, who actually did his undergrad in Southampton, um, he was the year ahead of me. So I after my to first two years in Sheffield he came and lived with me in Sheffield um my third year so my third undergrad year so I haven't really like a lot of people say to me you know what's it like being in a kind of studying situation and being married because that's fairly unusual for someone my age but um I haven't really known much different really being in a long-term relationship with someone living with someone while studying yeah that um, that was gonna, it's been really enjoyable sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you um <laughs> no, that was gonna, that was going to be one of my questions is is you know what is that situation like but you kind of uh, explained it there because I I can't imagine having I mean now I have children and and I'm married and I, I did all that stuff before I ever got married. And I was, I was eight hours away, but when uh, my wife and I were dating, even when I was finishing my degree. So, uh, I don't think there's any chance that I could have done it. Like in the situation that you're in, I don't think I could have, I could have pulled it off. I just am not that focused. So, uh, it's kudos to you and your husband who uh, can make that work. And, and you mentioned earlier that he's a school teacher. What, uh, what subject and what, what grade level? Um, so he's 11 to 16 year old um, geography. So like the other humanity. So that, that's a bit of friction, really, because we all know that geography is only color in, really. So, you know, that's how it is. Um, but yeah, no, he really enjoys it. Um, he's been trying to persuade me to like change to teaching now, but I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and like when we he first moved, he wasn't teaching. So that's like that's been quite a big change in terms of like the demands on teachers and stuff. And we, you know, that's something we've had to adapt to. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he really enjoys it. And um, what what are you, what are your plans to do after once you're done with this once you're done with your PhD? Um, yeah, that that was originally I was really keen on becoming a uni lecturer and like properly embracing academia, but I've become quite disillusioned with it as I've kind of gone through my PhD. So um, my next plans are kind of a little bit in flux. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm looking for jobs, but I'm not really clear on what jobs I'm looking for. So it's all a bit a bit undetermined at the moment. Um, but um, trying to keep positive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's probably normal. I mean, you've been in this situation where you're studying something for so long that it's the idea of transferring that to something else. Uh, you know, it, it's gotta be difficult. My, my intention was always to become a teacher and I don't know what I would have done had that not worked out, you know, but I was really fortunate to know what I wanted to do and and get the job that I wanted. And now I'm, now I'm here. Um, has, has doing your PhD with all the research and stuff, has it, has it changed or affected the way that you've been able to, you know, watch the football? Has it like made you watch it less or maybe, or maybe change the way you looked at it at all? Um, actually I think I probably watched more football, um, just because I tend to spend a lot of time like by a laptop or at a computer, like in the house. And I'm finally in a position where I can afford like a sports package on the telly and stuff. So like 
I probably stay in and watch a lot more football than I used to like when I was younger and I couldn't really you know afford football that much and had lots of other distractions and things and had lots to do so yeah now now life's become quite like office centered I probably watch more football than I did and I probably I, I don't know I think some of the like analysis and like the way you approach things probably comes through a bit more I don't know um but yeah I probably watch more football than I, I've ever done really I can say that since I've started the podcast, I watch less because I used to just watch in the US, we get every game, you know, every Premier League game. And so I would just, I would just binge watch, you know, everything. (laughs) Kids are asleep, watch, watch a game. And so now it's like, I I, I can watch when we play on Sunday, I watch a ton on Saturday because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, I can just watch whatever game I want. Um, But then once, once today happens and once the, once the match is over, it's all focused on getting ready for this and then, you know, editing and things like that. So it's probably better that I don't watch every game anymore because then you're just like, well, why can't we play like that? You know, like today I got to watch Newcastle <laughs> and Huddersfield play. And I'm like, well, you know, they both, they both, you know, did what they needed to do to, to, to get some points and, and, and we didn't. So, um, yeah, anyway. I felt very traitorous. Uh, yeah. Cause I was sat with a Newcastle fan <laughs> and I couldn't help myself cheer the Newcastle goal. And then about five minutes later, it hit me what I cheered and I was like, Oh no, it's not good. It's not good. But I had this Newcastle fan next to me who was actually buzzing and I was like, well, I can't ruin it by being like, I'm not sure that's what I really wanted. Um, so yeah, no, it was pretty frustrating, really. Yeah, I, I understand. No Newcastle fans here. My brother chose QPR a few years ago, so he hasn't, you know, been relevant for some time. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, you talked about maybe you know analysis and things like that, and and I guess this, this is a good point to move kind of into uh, the actual match for today and in the lineup. And I can say that, I don't know if you watch the ugly inside at all, but they've been trying to predict the lineup for most of the season and haven't been successful. Um, and I, I we had the same lineup this week and we, we got it and I got the formation, right? So I'm really happy, but I would take not getting it right and having a better performance, uh, over that. But just, just looking at, at, at the formation at the shape and, and at the players that were selected today, is that what you would have envisioned the the manager to do or what maybe what changes did you think maybe needed to be made just just pre-match in terms of the of the selection of the players so i looked at the the you know the team sheet cuz like when you get it tweeted don't you you just get like the lineup of players you just have like the line right. of like t- names and i thought that that looked pretty much what i wanted in terms of having like a strong midfield so substituting like a creative player for hoybier and having like a kind of core, like a strong core to midfield that would like match their match Liverpool up for shape because they play that four three three most of the time, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, so like I was thinking that was quite good. Um, I was quite encouraged by it. I'd have probably played Buffal over Tadic just because I felt like we might need something to kind of challenge their fullbacks and give them something to think about a bit. But I could understand why he'd gone for Tadic, given that Tadic is generally pretty good from like wide areas and is better at holding the ball up, and it's probably like the safer option for terms of like holding up play and stuff right but yeah i i like i generally it was generally encouraged and thought like it's not quite as attacking i'd have gone but there were reasons for it and then when i actually watched them in play like quick pretty early on it wasn't the 4-3-3 i thought it was it was 4-5-1 or 4-4-1-1 it was hoibier very high up the pitch and then ward prowse and talich quite like restrained with where they were moving and I don't think that was the way to get the most out of that team sheet. If you saw what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And like you said, with Ward Prowse and Tadic both being kind of good in wide areas and Tadic being, I think, a little bit stronger than Buffal. Um, hmm. Like you said, he's not going to beat anybody one-on-one down the line. He's not going to break quickly. And it was pretty clear that 
I guess from the from the way we set up that we were planning on having at least a, you know an even share of possession because that wasn't a team that was ever going to beat anybody on the break. It looked like we were trying to win the ball in midfield and and, and kind of keep control of the game. Um, but but it, it it quickly broke down when when Hoot made that mistake. But I don't know. I I was okay kind of with the team sheet. I saw I saw a lot of people were upset with with the Tadich selection. But like you said, once we once the game was kind of going, the the shape really didn't help us out at all. I thought that it should have been like I don't know. I'm maybe the crash was happening earlier than normal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mean it. It was kind of like it could have worked, but Hoy, I think Hoybier needed to be in a deeper position, and I think Tavich and Warprouse just needed a bit more freedom to go forward. Whereas it felt to me like it was Kaneshio on his own up front, and then we were just going to shove Hoybier up to support him occasionally. Whereas what I think it needed was a bit more aggression on the flanks so that when you put a ball in from two, you know, two guys that are great at delivering the ball in Warpras and Talic, that you'd have Carrillo in the middle and you'd have people running off him, like, you know, and Hoybier and Lamina making late runs maybe, but mm-hmm. it didn't materialise anything close to that. And so I think that was a disappointment rather than the team sheet itself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's always difficult to know whether that's the game plan or whether that's just how the players reacted to what they were seeing. Um, but I don't think very many of us are giving the manager the benefit of the doubt at this point. So, uh, it's probably going to go <laughs> down to the the game plan. And I don't know, early on, it, you know, the first five minutes kind of frantic, uh, Liverpool were kind of pressing and, and, you know, eventually we won the corner, uh, we swing it in and it seemed like from there, that's how they, they kind of broke quickly. And that, and that was it. And that was, you know, we're one nil down. And from there, I don't know. Uh, when you look at the reaction that the players had to that first goal, and I don't know if you want to talk about Hoot's mistake or we just want to let it go because it, it's a mistake. And it seems to be what our center backs do is they make a mistake and, and they make a mistake that leads to a goal. And then, you know, we, we try to make up for it the rest of the match, but it seemed like after that, at least until they scored that second, that we were kind of on top, we were in the match and in the game and it looked fine to me. Um, but what, I don't know, what, what did you notice at least uh, about that, that portion of the game from the time they scored until, until halftime? Yeah, I think like we reacted well, as you said, like the first five minutes until the goal and I arguably the good five minutes afterwards, it was all a bit frenetic. It was kind of, oh, they're pressing us and we're a bit panicked by this, but we want to show aggression and energy. We want to show that we're up for it. So we're just going to kind of fizz the ball around a lot. And it, there was a kind of rapid exchange of possession and it was all a bit all over the place. And and that wasn't really what we needed. Um, and they, they kind of knuckled down and, and got on with it um, and, and dominated possession as you, you know, we expected. That's what they thought they would do given the lineup. Um, but I just, for all the possession and and it, and it looked really comfortable. And, and I had my uh, Liverpool brother-in-law messaging me being like, oh, I don't understand how you're in the like, relegation zone. You, you look really good, blah, 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 blah. Um, there wasn't really that much kind of threat. Like Carrillo had that really that decent header, but like it was quite a difficult chance. And Warprouse had a couple of headers, I think. But like he's not really the guy you want on the end of a header anyway. Um, and I just felt like it wasn't. It was good, but I didn't feel at any point that we were ever we were going to score. Like there were half chances at best, um, and we didn't really kind of threaten them. And it was mo- mostly frustrating because I felt their fullbacks you know, in typical Liverpool style, weren't really getting much protection because they play like the inside forwards of Manny and Salah. So, you know, I think they were there for the taking a bit and we never really like properly threatened. I didn't think Cedric and Bertrand really were as effective as they've been in other matches um, in terms of kind of overloading them in blanks and neither Ward, Prowse or Tadic were going to be the types to kind of skin them or take them on or whatever. So, yeah, it was 
kind of positive because there was a lot of possession and we looked quite comfortable, but I never really felt like we were going to score. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that if you look at the way Liverpool played generally, they, they really don't play a true holding midfielder. They, they expect their defenders, similar, I guess, to Man City, they expect their, their defenders to defend one-on-one and, and hold their own. Um, and sometimes that's what leads to their, their mistakes when they get caught out if they make a mistake because there is no protection for them. But maybe it was, you know, maybe it was the threat of Mane and, and Salah going forward that were keeping Bertrand and Cedric from really yeah, that's um, doing, doing their job on the other end. But I don't know. I, I, that's when you look at the lineup and you look at who we have on the flanks and, and the full, their fullbacks know, like, neither of these guys are going to run by us. It's going to take two or three passes for them to get through us. And we don't have to worry. Like, we didn't, they didn't have to worry about a ball over the top at all. Right. And, and for the most part, you know, um, Van Dyke and, and Montev looked relatively comfortable. Uh, their fullbacks were getting forward a lot more than ours were. And I think that kind of sums up, you know, what, what happened, uh, even though we were, we were creating some of those half chances, uh, it just didn't really ever look like we were going to score. I think the closest we got was that, uh, maybe that Hoiberg strike when he set up, but even that angle was, was, was super tight and it was a nice ball from Romeo, but you know, that if that's the best you got, then and he kind of ciphered it, didn't he? When he got there, he was like, Oh, Oh, I don't do these. Oh no, I don't know what to do. Oh, I'll just, just side foot that. Like he, he looked kind of, kind of intimidated by the scenario and it kind of magnified the kind of virtual insanity of, of having Hoiberg as your number 10. Cause he doesn't really like shooting and he doesn't really like taking players on. Um, you know, he's a solid number eight, not not ten, and he he looked uncomfortable. I thought, and for all of like his ability to kind of press and harry and get in people's faces, because they don't play, as you said, of like a traditional holding midfield, they don't. There's no one really to press in the same way that you know he tried to get in Dembele's face against Spurs. There isn't that mm-hmm. same present. There isn't the same kind of point to it. I don't think it didn't seem to block out any threat really. That idea and all it did was make us a bit more blunt. I think. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know when I look at Hoiberg and Lamina. I think that they're very similar. I think they are almost identical in terms of skill set and and what they set out to do when they're on the pitch. And I worry sometimes about playing all three of our midfielders of Romeo, Hoiberg, and Lamina at the same time because I don't feel like there's enough kind of variety there in terms of what they what they do when they're on the pitch. Um, I don't I don't want to say that none of them are are, are like they aren't creative, but I, I think they're more built on on pressing and on on strength and winning the ball back than they are about really creating mm. opportunities for our forward players to 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 move and and, and that kind of thing. So. I, I don't know. I always am reluctant to see all three of them out there unless we're going to play like a like a three five two, and then I think that's the situation where you have them uh, play all three of them play. But uh, today, like we said, today wasn't wasn't kind of how we how we set out. We just set out with all three of them, and, and that means either Lamina or Hoiberg has to push forward, and it just wasn't it, it didn't quite work. I think um, it could have worked if we'd kind of like gone for I don't know like Buffal or Redmond or Long even in a wide area, you know, like proper attacking winger types. Whereas I always think uh-huh. Kadic and Warprouse are quite conservative in their role, which is good for going backwards. But if you're going to play those three midfielders, you probably don't need that as much. And I think it probably sums up how conservative he's been in terms of like his approach to lining up a team. That even when you have a lineup, you think it's okay. You're not putting the right people in the right places for me. I don't think. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree. It's, it's, uh, it is very emblematic of how he views the team, and it's probably why you know Granite Ward Prowse has been. I would say amazing lately. Um, but given the, the, the way that he plays in, in the kind of conservative nature 
and, and Tadic as well. I think that's what gets them into Pellegrino's team week in, week out is that's what he wants out of those wide players, or it seems that way anyway. And, and therefore we're going to mm-hmm. continue to kind of mm-hmm. play in this manner. And it, it is frustrating for, for fans who, who watch week in and week out if, when we, when it doesn't come off, when it comes off and we win three, two or whatever, it looks great. But w- when we get done two nil at home and don't really create any chances, then people are upset. And I think that's totally, I think it's valid. Absolutely. I totally agree. Was there, I mean, so, so we kind of, you know, said mid middle of the, of the, of the first half after their goal and before their second, it, it looked okay. It looked like we would, you know, if, if we kept on playing like that, I think people would have been okay. If we lost one, no, we would have, you know, there, there were, you know, half chances here and there and we're playing a top three team or a top four team, whatever it is. Um, but then, you know, when we're playing that defensive and we have the, the midfielders we have, and then Salah is able to kind of sit between the line of defense and, and midfield and receive that pass. That's frustrating. Uh, you know, when he creates that, that chance for the second goal and granted Firmino, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know how you practice that or think about that or do that. I'm not that creative mm-hmm. in anything, but, um, the ball that he played back to Salah was, was, was beautiful. And, and then, the, you know, they're up to nothing. And I think that at that point, like all the momentum was gone for, from us. Um, I think, for all of our criticisms of us defensively, and I still don't think that was the best bit of defending I've seen, you have to accept that Liverpool are incredibly ruthless and they were incredibly ruthless in that game. And Salah and Firmino have done that to many a team in terms of that that kind of psychic link-up play where I don't even know where it comes from. Um, and they rip a defence apart. But I still think Hoot follows Salah into that situation and has literally no idea how he's going to get back again. And for me, we were, you said about you know how these centre-backs seem to have errors in them. We don't seem to have a game where one of them doesn't make an error. And I think the decision not to replace Van Dijk is looking worse and worse by the minute because I think it's really unfair because they're both very young. Stevens is particularly inexperienced. And I just felt that they need someone who's just going to make a sensible decision and and kind of steady things and I feel really sorry for them because I think they've been thrown in at the deep end um I think we needed one of them and a new centre-back um rather than them both together and I don't feel either of them are particularly natural leaders whereas we've just lost Van Dyke, who was great at like marshalling people so like as much as I want to criticize them I feel like a lot of it is down to our recruitment. Yeah, I think they've been put in a, a kind of a no-win situation. They've they've been thrown in. Um, I think they are. I feel bad saying this because Yoshida's been at the club for a long time and he does his job whenever he comes in. But I I, I would say that they're both better than Yoshida um, because he is is prone to make errors as well. But like you said, there there is no there's no there's nobody who's been there before who can who can show them. Hey, this is this is this is what you need to do here and keep them and keep in their head and and remind them of what mm. needs to happen and. You know, granted, they're professionals, but they they are young and they're going to make mistakes. And at this point in the season, with our lack of goal scoring and things like that, we just can't afford to to give away goals in, in, in matches because we keep you know we keep giving away we keep giving away points. And and you can see if you look at the table now, we're back in the relegation zone, and uh, it's it's going to be t- a tough go from here to to try to get back out of it and stay in the Premier League. Yeah, and also, I don't think Ramey's been the player he was last season, and I don't think he's doing as good a shielding job as he did before. So that only magnifies their errors, I think, because they're not getting... I felt like perhaps with that second goal, one of the defensive midfielders needed to give some kind of cover because they just looked like they have been ripped apart kind of and really exposed. 
Yeah. So I think that's also been a massive error, a massive issue in our frailty. Yeah. If, if, if you're going to set up and, and kind of, you know, drop back into it, into two banks of four or, or a bank of five and a bank of four, somebody's got to, you can't, that space between mid defense and midfield and, mm. and, and the center backs has to be covered. And Salah was able to find that space. And I don't know how he did it, but like, he's super good. So we'll just say, you know, I don't know. It happens, <laughs> but somebody's got to go with him and, and you just can't, you can't let it happen. But coming out of the first half up until that point, I, like we said, I, pretty happy with the pressure we had on, on Liverpool. We had some energy. It seemed like the fans were behind the team the entire time, even though we went down early, uh, which is not maybe something that we've seen at, at home matches in, in recent times. It seemed like there's been a lot of people on the back of, of the manager. And I think that goes on to the players and maybe that's because Redmond wasn't out there and, and he seems to draw a lot of criticism, but going into halftime, I was, this is where you really need somebody to be a leader where you, whether, whether it's the manager or whether it's, you know, the captain, somebody needs to, to just kind of rally everybody and, and send them back out on the pitch with some energy. And we came out to me at least looking flat and like, we didn't want to be there for the next 45 minutes. Yeah. I, for all the, you know, for the fact that we were two nil down, I didn't feel that bad about it. You know, there was one error and then I think there was a bit of exceptional attacking play. And I thought, at that point, it was unlikely that we'd get a win or even maybe a point, but we could do something which would give us a bit of belief and a bit of confidence and maybe nick a goal. But we came back out and we just didn't look anywhere near competing. Um, I was said, I tweeted at half time that I thought it was time for Bufel to come on because we hadn't really had any luck in those wing areas where I think the game was being fought. Um, and that didn't seem to happen. And then we had Lamina's illness or, or whatever it is. And that was the only thing that forced him into bringing Bufal on. And I think that lost, like the midfield battle that we were struggling with got even worse because we'd taken off central midfielder for Bufal. Um, and it seemed that with every sub, the situation got worse. It wasn't, you know, in those situations, you need a sub that is going to make some impact, that is going to rally the team and is going to make us feel like we can get back into the game. But with every sub, I felt it got worse. And when he brought on Long um, to go to some system with two up, it looked it looked just rigid and dysfunctional and, and, and kind of typical of what we've seen in Pellegrino's worst moments. And I, I prattle on about this in various podcasts and on various tweets, that I don't think Pellegrino knows how to effectively manage a game through substitutions i've not been impressed at any point in the whole season i don't think by any of his substitutions he doesn't seem to be able to use them to wrestle back a game or even in some scenarios to hold on to what we have um and so this game just typified his lack of game management and and we just looked worse and worse and worse and we could have played for another four hours and i don't think we'd have scored yeah and and like you said, that's a, a common theme that you have have drawn attention to repeatedly is the fact that he, he he it's almost like they have one plan they work on all week. And then in a moment of, oh, my gosh, we have to do something because it's not going well here. You go in and it's like he doesn't even he, the, the, the directions and the instruction and the 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 idea that we're going to we may change shape in the middle of the match. And this is kind of how how your responsibilities change. If we do that, it doesn't ever seem to translate into what the players are doing. And it is almost as just, you know, we're, we're so set up to play defense first that we don't create anything going forward. We don't, even if we put two strikers up top, we never do the things necessary to, to allow them to, to chances to score. And I don't know it, that, I think that is frustrating. I think that is, you know, some people are going to just bash the manager, whatever he does. But I think when you really kind of look at the things that he does like that, like these, some of these changes, and we'll, we'll talk about more of them in a second, um, 
it is it is a clear lack of kind of understanding or lack of communication between him and, and the players and that that can't happen you have to be able to to change a game or or react to something that's going on uh to be able to to keep points or or, or get points back or whatever it is and, and like you said he just he just can't do it but when he pulled Bavall on and took Lumina off, um, it's almost Liverpool almost immediately countered with a uh, with, with with a substitution. Um, they they pulled Alex Oxley Chamberlain off. They put Milner on, uh, and that is kind of that's a more defensive substitution for them in terms of Milner's going to be much more. Milner is like boring, um, but he boring as Milner as we all know. Yeah, but you know what's funny is not really you know coming into this relatively recently in terms of not wa- having watched football my entire life when I watched James Milner play at the end of his career at Man City and then coming into Liverpool, I was like, I really like that guy. Like he seems like a guy who just works really hard and does all the things he's, you know, he's not super flashy. I, and like somebody asked me one time, like, who's your favorite player? And I'm like, you know, like if I had to pick from any team that's not Southampton, like maybe James Milner. And they just laughed. And then I never said that out loud again, but like, um, <laughs> <laughs> but that, so I don't know, like that, but that's, I think that's, you know, Klopp looking at it and going, okay, we're up to, this is what we're going to do. And, and, and here we go. And, and it worked because they slowly wrestled that midfield control back and they weren't able to score any more goals, but they, they, I don't think were ever worried in that second half at all. Exactly. They did. They didn't need to do anything more than bring on boring James Milner because they knew that we weren't posing any kind of threat and they could sit off and just let the game fill out, which is exactly what happened and exactly what we let them do. You know, there was no attempt to say, they're trying to put, you know, they're trying to quash us and we're going to respond. It, it just got worse and worse. And I like boring James Milner, actually. I think he's really efficient in his use of the ball. And that was exactly why he was brought on, because he won't waste the ball. He won't be flashy, but he will keep the ball moving and he will slowly, you know, silence the opposition. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and it was just really depressing to watch. Just just roll over. That That's how it felt. But we just sort of went... Yeah, you've got two goals. I can't really see how we're going to score, so we'll just stop. Now, the other substitutions, long on for, for James Ward-Prowse, and um, Davis came on for Romeo. But I saw one of, I think it was the Saints report, uh, tweeted like, you know, here's your final change, and no, we don't understand it either. And it was kind of like, well, I guess that, that, that sums it up, because, you know, Davis is not really a guy that's going to come on and sit deep and, and, and be able to drive the ball forward. He's When he plays deep in that deeper role, it's kind of just it's slow and it's passing backwards and everything else. But, you know, I, I don't, I, like we said, I don't think we, we changed anything. I don't think that was, you know, what, and I don't, I'm not even really sure what I wanted the manager to do at that point, but it definitely wasn't that. That wasn't it. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I, I felt quite sorry for Red, Redmond, actually. I felt like for all of his dire form and the mistakes he's made, etc., he actually could have offered something, whereas I didn't ever understand what Davis was going to do. Um, and for as much as I love Stephen Davis and think he's been a great servant to the club and in previous years, you know, has guided us to some important results, I just feel like maybe his time's done. I, th- I feel like maybe this is the time to say thanks, Steve, but maybe, maybe we're done because I... I don't really know what he brings anymore. Is that harsh? No, I mean he, he, like you said, he has been fantastic, and and we, I don't want to take that away from him. But you can only play so many games in central midfield at his age, and in in a year. I mean, he's playing internationally. He's going to go to the World Cup. He was he was at the Euros uh, two two summers ago, and he doesn't. You know, he's doing so much for the Northern Ireland squad that he, he doesn't get a break. And when he comes into us, sometimes I think at, at, at points early in the season, maybe he looked a bit tired and, and now he doesn't really seem to fit anywhere. And it seemed like 
you know, we tried playing him in the number 10 role and he looks okay. Um, we try sending him next to Romeo because we want him, I think, I think we wanted to be in the team because we didn't have a captain. You know, I think that's part of it too, is, is the, the lack of leadership on the field. Maybe that is what he brings, but I'm not sure that that's enough now. I think we need something more from people. Yeah. And I'm not sure he's the right kind of leader for the scenario we're now in. I think he's great at like encouraging players and kind of like gently kind of focusing them. But I feel now we've got into this very dire situation, you need someone that is going to, you know, properly shake people and say, what are you doing? And where, where are we going? And, you know, kind of like fire people up. And as much as I think he is a leader, I don't think he's that style of leader. And that's kind of more what Van Dyke would have done, I think. Um, he's not kind of aggressive enough, which is fine when you're a mid-table team and occasionally it's not going right and people can kind of skirt over the idea. But when you're in a relegation battle, I feel like you need someone that's probably going to get the blood pumping. And that second half kind of just summed up that we don't have that. There's no one that says, you know, guys, what are we doing? Let's, you know, move, let's push, let's change. And you were talking about the fact the players look completely confused when we change shape or the opposition change shape. There's no one saying you go over there and you stand over there because like, and they look completely directionless and, and lacking in leadership. And I don't think that particularly changes when Davis comes on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, coming into this match and, and kind of before this, I was kind of under the impression that we were starting to move forward. Um, and I, I think just from our conversation before, I think you were under that impression as as well. Can what do you think moving coming out of this? Is there anything that we can take from this, or is it is it is it going to come back to haunt us next week in the FA Cup, and then you know the next week at Burnley, or how do you see this affecting uh, the team moving forward? Um, I think we're back to square one. Um, it has felt at times this season that we make one step forward and then it's two steps back. You know, we have these results that make me think, oh, maybe I prejudge Pellegrino. Maybe he does sort of know what he's doing or at least he can get us out of the situation or you know there's there's that glimmer of hope which at no point has made me think Pellegrino is the right man for the job but has made me think we can get out of the situation if we play like this which I felt leaving West Brom last week was the case I felt if we play like that we aren't going to be a great team but we will get ourselves out of the situation we showed fight and we showed a bit of fluidity for a change which was shocking um but we showed enough and now I feel like we've just gone backwards again. And it was like when we beat Everton earlier in the season, I had this brief moment of, you know what, things aren't going to be that bad. We'll, you know, we'll keep pushing this direction and it'll be fine. And um, it, it's just never materialised. There's been these false dawns and we then go back to square one again. Um, and somehow the manager hangs on to his job. So I'm not, I'm not really clear on why that happens. But no, I think a lot of what we had is undone. And you know how important momentum can be at this stage of the season in our scenario. like. You need a bit of like belief and a bit of fight and a, something to build on, which um, Newcastle might have now and Huddersfield might have now, but we certainly don't have. Right, right. I don't know. I'm I'm worried moving forward, um, as and I think a lot of people are, and I think a lot of people have been worried most of the year just looking at Pellegrino. But um, I've been keeping track of of a table that nobody wants to look at. And I keep getting made fun of for posting spreadsheets on Twitter, but like the if you look at the the sheet that I post almost every match week, it's we are by far, in terms of the money we spend, uh, the most underachieving side in the Premier League. And it, it's only going to get worse. And all the teams that are directly above us in that have, have gotten rid of their manager. And lots of them did it early. And most of them have, have improved their situation since they've done, since they made the switch. 
And at this point, do you, do you think that we've one, I kind of think we waited too long, but do you think at this point we can make a managerial change and, and have it do us some good? Or do you think it's possibly too late? And this kind of is, is building off of one of the questions that came in from AJ Reardon, who's at Fred Lazaro uh, on Twitter. Um, I don't think it's too late. No, because invariably, and I think you've seen that with Swansea, is that you get this like new manager, like bump, like boost. But like, even if he doesn't actually do a great job, there's this kind of reinvigoration, this kind of new belief, this fresh optimism. They're kind of like a manager that hasn't been scarred by a season of underachievement and that has something new that they can bring. And I feel like this season has become incredibly stale. Um, Pellegrino doesn't really know how to shake it up or change things. And I think even though we are really late in the season, and for me, the change should have come after that awful Leicester performance, I still think that there is value in doing it. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that I just don't think there's much to lose. I don't, I can't consider that many managers who would be up for the job, who would do a worse job. Even if you had, say, kind of like some championship journeyman, at least he'd have a bit of like grit and a bit of fight. And I, I feel like every single post-match interview from Pellegrino is like, oh, well, we were unlucky or, or we did good or it's a pity that this happened or blah, 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 blah. There's no kind of like, we weren't good enough and we need to improve. I don't get that sense off him. There's too much kind of, kind of coat, sugar coating situation where he doesn't seem to confront how bad the issue is. So yeah, I'd still be in favor of a change and I probably will be in favor of a change right until the end. It's almost like Pellegrino paid more attention during media training than he did during his coaching badges at times, <laughs> which is probably rude to say, but it's really what it looks like <laughs> when he talks after the matches. Um, Ben Lacey, who's at Ben Lacey three on Twitter says today was always going to be tough. Uh, I'm not sure any of us came into today expecting three points, but the next five league mat league games are really what matter. Uh, how many points do you think we will get from them? I have the, 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 the schedule up here. We have Burnley away, South uh, Stoke city at home, Newcastle away, which should be fun for you. Uh, Swansea <laughs> city and West Ham both away. So, uh, those are, those are kind of five and those are other than Burnley, those are teams that are, that are circling around us. Um, but out of those 15, what do you, what do you see us getting from those? Um, I don't know, actually. Um, I don't see us getting anything from Burnley away, uh, just because we, we didn't seem to have any idea. Like when they switched to four four two when they played us at St. Mary's, we didn't seem to know how to respond. And we know that that is kind of, uh, Deich's kind of fullback option. Like he will always go to four four two if things are bad. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and I think Burnley's a really tough place to go. And despite the fact that their like expected goals seems completely like unsustainable, they still somehow get results. Like, right. They don't seem to create much, but they seem to grind something out. Um, so I'd be surprised if we got anything there. We might get a point, like maybe, but I'm not feeling too optimistic about that. Stoke, I think we have to get three points. Um, but do I think we will? Um, I'm just going to say we will because I don't think I'm feeling optimistic about other ones. Um, Newcastle away, uh, probably a draw, maybe. Um, but Rafa's like really clever um, and really good at making his team difficult to beat. Um, I think Newcastle are probably the only team in the league that a change wouldn't help them because I feel that's a championship squad and Rafa is getting the best he can can out of them and he will always make them difficult to break down and Pellegrino doesn't really seem to have answers. So as much as I think we should be targeting three points, I think we'll only get one. Okay. Um, what, what are we going to uh, we go Swansea City. Oh, <laughs> right. So before Carvajal came to Swansea, I'd have said we'd have won that. Um, 
I'm going to hope that their their kind of boost has died out by then and that we'll get three points. But okay. I don't know if that's said with much conviction. You'll notice that none of these predictions are said with any conviction um, because I don't really have any. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, whatever that was. And then West Ham away, which which will be the only or it'll be the first game I've ever seen live from for Southampton. So hopefully that's three points, but I don't know, you know, may, they, they may very well have the oldest back line known ever in the premier league at that point, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that we're going to go there and, and, and do it. Uh, yeah. And I, they have Arnautovic back now, don't they? Like they had an awful dip where Arnautovic and Lanzini weren't available. Arnautovic was back and scored, wasn't he? Um, and I think Lanzini will be back by then. Mm-hmm. So their two best players will be back and available. So I'm going to optimistically say we'll get a point. And I think that's being optimistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got zero, three, one, three, one, um, eight points. I think we would take it. But like you said, none of those, you haven't, you haven't, you know, I don't think any of it, either of us can sit here and say like, that's definitely, those are what we're, that's what we're going to get. That's probably the maximum we're going to get. And, and yeah, that's the maximum. That was me on like massive as optimistic as I possibly can be. And I would totally take eight, but I don't, didn't feel confident predicting any of them, to be honest. Right. Right. God, I mean, I, I don't, I have no idea. I think, but I think you're probably right in terms of, you know, we'll get somewhere between five and eight, hopefully. Um, and, and five is, it's not good enough. You like, you need eight points in, in that, that bottom of the table is so, is so congested and so tight that it, I'm not even worried that we're in the relegation zone right now. I'm worried that we didn't pick up a point today, you know, and I'm worried about the manner of the performance yeah. because it doesn't look like we're going to be able to win, win, win games and, and get the points that we need to, to move up. So it's it's frustrating. But. And for all the fact, like that question said, you know, that it's the next five that count and we expected to draw for Liverpool. Um, we expected to lose to Liverpool. That that performance means that, yeah, we did expect to lose, but that's given us nothing to build on in five crucial games. Um, so, yeah, that's that's as much as I didn't expect us to win this game. That's a real problem. And you'll also notice that I've, I've just realised that I've predicted another couple of draws, haven't I? And that really sums up our problem, uh-huh. that we get way too many draws, don't we? So. Uh-huh. There, you know, I never really realized the importance of not drawing games until I, a couple of seasons ago, when you looked at how many games Tottenham drew, which kind of cost them the title, you know, they were involved in so many draws early on, um, that it basically just kind of took them out of the title race. And I was looking at that team from the Tottenham team from a couple of years ago going like, how are they not winning the league? And I think it was the year Leicester one, maybe. Um, but it was just that they drew, you know, you draw a couple of games and, and teams around you move up and then, and then it's done and you, it's hard to get those points back because now you're relying on other teams to draw or lose in order for you to be able to make up ground. And it it's, you know, if we drew away to Chelsea, fine. If we drew away to Man City, fine. If we're, you know, if, if we're drawing at home to teams like Swansea, then that's not good enough. Yeah. And I think the thing is you get a point for a draw. Do you? you don't get one and a half points, you know, a draw isn't a half as valuable as the win. It's less than that. I think some people think, oh, you know, you've, you've shared the spoils. You've, you've, you know, got the same as they did, whatever. That's not much better than a defeat, is it? I mean, you have to put in three draws before you're getting the points for a win, one win. Like those start to stack up really quickly. And I think if we do go down, it'll be the draws. <laughs> the completely avoidable draws that will really hurt for example you know Watford you know how we drew that game I, I have no idea yeah but that's those are going to be the ones that really sting I think yeah yeah all right so we have some questions from Instagram and we have one that's kind of from Christian Candler who says do you think we're losing the Southampton way that's a bit I think that's a bit too broad I'm not sure we have time to address that properly so we're going to leave that for a, a different episode maybe um but the one came in from the saints report and it says will pellegrino ever be the right man for southampton and 
when I, when I read the question, I kind of think of, is there anything that you think he can do to win the majority of the fans back over to, to actually supporting him? Because at, right now I, I'm not seeing, at least from the, from the tweets I read and, and the fans that I interact with, I don't really see him ever kind of gaining their trust in terms of, of us believing in, in that he's the right, uh, he's the right guy. And I don't know exactly how you feel about it or what you think it would take for him to, to be the right guy for the job. Um, yeah, I think that this disappointment isn't just that the results haven't been good enough. It's the style of football that we were promised and hasn't been delivered. So if Pellegrino was ever going to be the right man for the job, he'd have completely changed the way he was playing because it's not the attacking positive football that Lesri told us we'd get when Pellegrino was appointed. Um, so he'd have to, like, not only would results have to improve, you know, I jokingly thought to myself, well, if he wins every game left, we'll be fine. And we'll all love him, but I'm not sure we will because it's not anything like what we were promised. And, you know, it would be kind of a crazy transformation if he was to deliver what we've been told to expect. Yeah, I think, you know, I I want to give some credit, I think, to Luke Osman, who pointed out at the very beginning of the season, like this isn't we're not getting the attacking football that, that we think we're getting. You know, he he looked if you look at the results from from Alaves, it was when when they won matches, it was playing uh, like a five, three, two or three, five, two. And and hitting somebody on the break and and then holding out for 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 an entire match and that we were never that's never going to make our fans happy I think coming out of last season um, looking at you know we finished eighth and we got to a cup final but it was the the whole point was that the football wasn't good enough and the understanding wasn't there and and that's why we were moving forward I really don't think that that we've done that uh, I don't think like you said the changes have been have been what we were expecting and I think the fans feel like they you know. Got the got the wool pulled over their eyes a little bit in terms of what we were hoping for and, and told and and versus what the reality actually is. Um, but yeah, and and I don't know if you have anything, any other kind of thoughts on on the rest of the match or on the season going forward or anything else you'd like to add at this point. No, I don't think I do. All right, um, I do have a couple of just uh, questions that are not really related to the team, but I always think they're fun. Um, I would like to know where you've heard the better structured arguments. Would it be on Twitter, random, random Twitter argument, or in some sort of undergraduate history survey that you've had to either oversee or sit through, uh, in your time at university? I think Twitter. <laughs> there has been some very low quality undergraduate conversations. <laughs> so even though Twitter at times drives me insane, like, I think, you know, you mentioned Luke Cosman and there are a few other like really like keen analytical Saints fans who, you know, if you search them out, um, they'll give you some really good analysis. Um, so yeah, I'm giving it to Twitter. Okay. Sorry, undergrads. All right. Oh, well, Hey, you got to step your game up. If you want to do that. Um, and then I, you know, I know you live in Sheffield, so I have to ask you, is it, is it United or Wednesday? Which one, which one do you prefer? Um, right. So I'm really close to Hillsborough. I can, I can, if on a, if the wind is blowing the right direction on a match day, you can hear them. So um, yes, definitely Hillsborough. Uh, it's definitely Wednesday. Okay. Um, and I'm, yeah, I feel quite like, like feel quite angry about United. Like I, I don't like them. Um, and that makes all of their achievements and all of Wednesday's struggles this season quite quite difficult really um and also in the department at uni they're all blades so i don't really go down very well okay okay all right well i mean that that does it for for my questions and, and i appreciate your time and uh, i've enjoyed talking to you very much and i'm glad we finally got to make this this work so thank you thank you yeah thank you for having me it's been great no problem and if you're up for it we'll do it again sometime down the road and hopefully We'll have a, a few more positive results in a better kind of environment to talk about. It. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But we've got to hope so, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>
that does it for this episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. And special thanks to my guest, Lucy Heinett, for joining me. Uh, I know you got a lot of stuff going on, and I appreciate you taking time out to speak with me. And I think the people who listen to this podcast will appreciate it as well. You can follow Lucy on social media, at Lucy Heinett, both on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram, at SFCDELL underscore IVERY. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SFCDelivery. There is no underscore in the Facebook address. The artwork for this show is done by Matt at the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. For all your match day edits, polls, competitions, and more, be sure to check out the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Music for this show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games. And the song you're hearing now is Aim is True by Poddington Bear. There are links in the show notes if you're interested in listening or just telling the authors that you think they are awesome. As always, we will be back next week. And although Saints take on West Brom away again in the FA Cup, we will be focusing on the Southampton Women's Football Club and hoping to bring some of their good fortune and winning ways over to the men's side so that we can stay in the Premier League because that is what we need right now. To be sure you don't miss that episode, you can subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever else you get your podcast. And it'll be delivered to you as soon as it's available. As I said at the top of the show, we've been getting a lot of feedback from people, but please continue to bring it in. You can do that on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or via email. The email is in the show notes, so don't hesitate. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And if you're really enjoying the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It helps other people find out about the show because iTunes continues to push it out the more reviews it gets. So uh, thank you for all who have done that already. I really do appreciate it. And at this point, we'll talk to you next week. But until then... Remember that together, we march on.